Today's Bible reading comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another, because, God, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only Son into the world so we may, might live through him. Love consists in this. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe that the, the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us, so we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment, so the ones who fear is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Through 1 John. And last week we took a little bit of a detour uh, through the main story that John is telling in his book, the main argument he's been he's kind of been making in this letter. And so the main argument that John has been making through the letter of 1 John uh, is all about what it looks like to be kind of authentically Christian. And we saw in chapter 1 and 2 that it involves sticking to the apostles' teaching. That is, we don't deviate from what Scripture teaches. Uh, we reject what the world says to us. We, we follow what God has revealed uh, through His Word. We stick to the teaching of the apostles, Old Testament, New Testament. We saw um, that Christianity has this kind of subversive uh, structure within it. We live in a world that has been... Has been uh, under the authority of the, the evil one, of darkness, and as we are now people of light, we live in this kind of subversive, countercultural thing that, that has its origin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 3, we saw that this is, it has implications for how we live. Uh, it introduces this concept that Christians are to be people of love, and that the love that Christians are to show is pretty radically different from the kind of love that exists in the world. 
And in fact, that only Christians can truly love the, the way that God had intended it to work. And it is on this theme that John now uh, expands in our passage today. So last week we had this slight little detour about needing to test the spirits and to see whether what is, uh, what is taught to the church is true. And John takes that detour, but now he's returning back to his main argument. And he says, dear friends, let us love one another, uh, for love comes from God. Now, John makes a some pretty confronting statements in this passage and these are real things that we need to deal with if we're going to hold on to this truth of scripture and so um, I've got to ask a couple of questions today then about the passage. Firstly, what is love? Secondly, if love comes from God then is it possible for a non-believer to love? And then thirdly, how does this impact and change the way we live? So firstly then, what does John mean in this passage when he writes, God is love? He says in verse 9, God's love was revealed to us in this way, that he sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. And then this is his definition in verse 10. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now that's interesting. And we need to wrestle with what John means when he's, when he's talking about love. What is the love that John is talking about? Now this is pretty important for us to think about because in this passage, John exclusively uses the word agape uh, to describe love. Now, you may know that um, the type of Greek that the Bible was written in has a bunch of different words to describe love. In English, we only have love, but they have different kinds of words in, in, in Greek for love. There's the kind of romantic love, which is eros. Uh, there is um, the love for your brother or sister, which is phileo. Uh, uh, it's like a friendshipy kind of love. And then there is this love, which is agape love. Now, we have to be careful because we can't be too prescriptive about this. There are many places in the New Testament where agape and phileo are used uh, interchangeably. And so, for example, John, who wrote this letter, when he writes his gospel, he, <coughs> he, uh, he, he does exactly that. He interchanges phileo and agape. And this is where, uh, for example, in chapter 21 of John, uh, Jesus has died, he's, he's come back to life, and he's now restoring the apostle Peter to, uh, back to him. And so you may know that, that Peter denies that he knows Jesus three times just before Jesus goes to the cross. And once he's resurrected, there is this beautiful passage of where Jesus restores the relationship with Peter. And in this story, John uh, uses these two love words interchangeably. Uh, and so if you read in verse 15 from chapter 21, um, the story is, is this. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of, uh, son of John, do you love agape me more than these? And then Simon Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus tells him. A second time he asks him, Simon, son of John, do you agape love me? Yes, Lord, he says to him, you know that I phileo love you. And so what he's doing there is there's this interplay between the two words, um, but they mean essentially the same thing. It's just, it's just for stylistic change, we think. 
So sometimes phileo and agape can be used interchangeably. It is actually wrong, and you will hear some preachers say this, some, some commentaries say this, that agape love is this divine love and phileo is purely, uh, you know, between friends or humanistic. Um, that's just not true. Uh, but there is a distinction between the two that we need to wrestle with here. There's a very important distinction between the two, and it is this. Nowhere ever is a believer instructed or commanded to love using phileo as a word. The command to love is always agape. And that is a distinction that's important for our text today because John here, uh, the same John who just in that passage in, in, his, in his gospel has been using these two words interchangeably, uh, now exclusively switches to agape here. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love is from God. In fact, if you read this in the original, he, uh, the, the word for dear friends is actually agapetoi. So he's saying um, agapetoi, brothers, dearly beloved, brothers and sisters, let us agape one another, for God is agape. He's really emphasizing the sense that this is a different kind of thing that he's talking about. The distinction between phileo and agape is important here. And the, the love that John here is talking about is the type of love that is disconnected from how you feel about someone. It is separate from regular affection. Love is not a feeling. It is an action. It is a choice to do the right thing, the best thing, the most loving thing for the other person, regardless of how you feel. In fact, Agape love is really shown when you kind of don't like the other person, when you hate them. And the wonderful thing is, friends, this is how God loves us. This is how God loves us. So what does John say makes up agape love? Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loved us while we were unlovely. He chose to do the right thing, the sacrificial thing, the lovely thing, not because he felt love for us, because when we are in our sin and, and wickedness, we are actually enemies of God. And so God chooses to do the right thing, the loving thing, even when, uh, when he is wrathful against us for our sin, despite our unloveliness. The Apostle Paul put, puts it this way, he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that kind of love is not based on affection. It is not a feeling. It is a choice God made even while you were unlovely. Now, why would God do that? Why would God choose to love in this way, these unlovely sinners that we are. Well, John tells us in verse 7, because, God, because love is from God, and God is love, in verse 8. So why does God love us this way? Because that's who He is. God loves us because He is this kind of love. It's not just an attribute of God. It's not just something God does. No, John says, God actually is love. This kind of self-sacrificial love that loves even the enemy is at the very core and being of who God is. 
It's like the sun which shines. It doesn't have a choice in some ways but to shine and, and you know, shoot out energy to heat and light uh, everything around it all the time. It's the nature of the sun is to shine. The nature of God is to love with this kind of love. And friends, do we realize that this, this love of God is not something that is merely a good and nice doctrine to have, although it's true, it's not just a nice theology to think about. It sounds lovely, doesn't it, for us to say that God is love. That's a good bit of theology right there, right? But it's more than that. The fact that God is love is really practical. It's a real tangible and personal thing. Because God's love is not just a concept, it actually comes as a person. It's made manifest in Christ Jesus. God's love, he says in verse 9, is revealed to us in this way, that God sent his one and only Son into the world so that we might live for him. This is how we know God's love. Because Jesus came to rescue us, his sinful enemies, from our sin. And to give us eternal life through him. And the love that is required for this kind of ultimate sacrifice of Jesus' love is a kind of love that, uh, that only God can have. It is love personified. Jesus walking with us, talking with us, eating with us, ultimately dying in our place is the evidence and the manifestation of God's love. And if you've ever wondered whether God loves you, John's answer would be, of course. Didn't you see how all of that love was bundled together into a person, uh, you know, born in a stable, uh, wrapped up in cloths and lying in a manger? If you ever wondered whether God loves you, open your eyes and look to Christ and see what God has done for you even while you were his enemy. And then know that you are beloved. This is the choice God made for all who would come. Even before the creation of the world, he would express himself this way. He chose to do that, to die for his enemies so that they could be redeemed and become his friends. To choose to do the right thing, the loving thing, the sacrificial thing, even for his enemies. That is who God is. And he's done that in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That is what it means to love. That's the kind of love John is talking about here. It is a sacrificial choice to do the right thing, even to the point of death, as exemplified by Jesus. And that then leads us to our second question. Can a non-believer, a non-Christian love? John says in verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, that's tricky, isn't it? Because all people love in some way, don't they? Verse 7 here is... I think, slightly over-translated. And, and I hate doing this because I don't want to give you the, the idea that our translations are unreliable. They are very, very, very good. But we do need to think about 
what is actually being said here. The phrase the CSB has translated here is that everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And I think it sort of emphasizes, overemphasizes, or perhaps overstates the matter a bit. The ESV is much better. Uh, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, uh, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. There's, there's quite a difference between whoever loves and everyone who loves. Uh, everyone who loves means that if you show love, then you are from God. This is saying whoever loves like God loves is from God. And I actually think that's what John is trying to say here. Now you might say, oh, the difference is, uh, you know, is, is immaterial, but it is a very important distinction. Because John is not saying that everyone who feels love, everyone who loves in the normal way that people have affection for one another, has been born of God. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that if you feel love, if you express love, then you're born again, then you're a saved Christian person. Now, the emphasis is on the type of love, not the everyone. Does that make sense? So, whomsoever of you, all of those who would love like this, this kind of self-sacrificial, love-your-enemy kind of love, if you're like that, then you have been born of God. John's saying that you have to be connected to the source of that agape love to be able to show it. And that makes sense. John isn't saying that if you love, you know God. If, if you love like this, then you know God. This self-sacrificial, I'm going to die for my enemy type of love, that love comes only from God. And I would go so far as to say that that kind of love does not actually happen in the world apart from God. Why do I say that? Let's think for a moment of the case study of relationships, which is normally what we think about when we think about love. What does the non-Christian think of love? What does the average person in the street think, for example, of marriage? You know, how do we view that? I love you and so I want to marry you, by which they mean I have feelings for you and I need to make you mine. But once the feelings fail, you know, once the uh, oxytocin wears off, what then? Statistically speaking, marriages end at two peak periods. After 18, to, 18 months to two years is spike one, and then after seven to eight years is the second spike. That's the time in our marriages where um, divorce happens most regularly. Now, why is that? This is because that the hormones protect you in the first 18 months, okay? Um, that's true. It's a physiological fact. You have these rose-colored glasses, but they start going away. It wears off. And the cute little quirky habit she had becomes kind of infuriating. And then after two years, 18 months, those who understand love the world's way say, They're right, that's it. I'm out. I don't have feelings for you anymore. I'll see you later. The other time divorce happens is seven to eight years. It's the fabled seven-year rich, you know. It's at that stage where you start to wonder why you chose this person, and maybe it might be better to trade up for a younger model, right? At two years, you get upset and you say, right, that's it. At seven years, you wake up one morning and you look at your person and you say, is that it? That's not agape love, right? That's eros love. That's feelings, love-based love, feelings-based love. 
It's how I feel today. Do I feel loving towards you? But that's not the kind of love that John talks about here. And that's not the kind of love that God is when we say God is love. The love of God is agape love. It is a solid, consistent commitment to choose to do what is loving even when you don't feel it, and perhaps especially when you don't feel it. Now, some people in the world understand that, but they have a vested interest in staying married. And so they might even work hard at keeping a marriage going. But a marriage partner is not the same thing as an enemy. Sometimes it might feel that way, but it's not the same thing. The Christian is the only person who can say, I'm going to die for my enemy because my love will prove Christ to them. The Christian is the only person who can say after they have been repeatedly hurt, I'm going to choose to do the right thing, the loving thing for you anyway because I'm connected to the source of that kind of love. That love is not a feeling. Agape love is a choice to act loving even when you don't feel loving because you have been loved by God. It is a choice to respond to God's love for you by showing that same love to those around you. And I don't think you can do that unless you have been born of God. You can't, you know, have an earthquake open the doors to your jail cell and stay behind in the jail so that the jailer doesn't kill himself unless you love like God loves, right? That's what Paul did. And you certainly won't die in the place of your enemies unless you are connected to God, the source of this kind of agape love, like Jesus did. Can a non-believer love like this? No. Can a non-believer love? Absolutely. But not with this kind of agape love that John is writing about here. I mean, why would you? If you're not a believer in Jesus, if you don't have that experience of God's love in your life, uh, this, this um, sacrificial love where he dies for you, his enemy, so that you can be brought into friendship and relationship with him, if you don't have that, why would you show that kind of love? Loving your enemy like that makes no sense. And unless you see things from God's perspective, you're never going to do that. And so unless you are a believer, you might show self-sacrificial love for a friend. You might even be willing to die for someone you think is a great leader, you know, follow them into battle or whatever, but you're not going to die for your enemy because that doesn't make sense. So can a non-Christian love? Absolutely, of course. But can they show this kind of love? No. Not until they have been born of God. Okay, so what is love? It's this kind of self-sacrificial love that chooses the other person's good, even if they're your enemy. You know, we see that through Jesus dying on the cross for us and so on. And can a non-Christian love like this? No, they can't. Which then leads us to the last question. How are we to respond to this? You know, this is all nice and good and true, but um, how do we live? How do we live in response? I read from verse 16. We have come to know and to believe the, the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this love, uh, sorry, in this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, 
Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. If someone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, sorry, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother or sister. Our response, uh, you know, in John here is very clear. If we're connected to Christ, we actually have no option but to show this kind of agape love uh, to our brothers and sisters. If we don't, then we're not loving God, says John. Now notice, John is applying this in the context of the church. The brothers and sisters he's talking about here refers to the other Christians within the church. And what John says is there is absolutely no room whatsoever for hatred to exist within the church. In fact, if you, are, if you hate someone within the church, you're actually proving, says John, that you're not connected to God. You're not remaining in God. And then he gives us this little quick heart check, if you like. A little spiritual diagnostic test, if you will. And the test is this. How much do you love your brother or sister? And how scared of you are you of the judgment day? Those are the two symptoms of a broken love. How do you know if you're connected to God? How do you know if you love God? Well, test number one. Do you love your brothers and sisters in the church in an increasing way? I.e., do you love those around you? If you're connected to God, if, if His love throws, flows through you, then it becomes absolutely ludicrous to hate your brother or sister in the church. God's love has already redeemed them, saved them, washed them clean. Who are you to say, yeah, but they hurt me. They did this or that thing and it offended me. If God has dealt with their sin through Jesus, who do you think you are? to hold on to that person's sin over them, for their sin against you to govern your relationship with them. It's hard, yes, it's painful, yes, but God says vengeance belongs to Him, not to you. And so if God has dealt with that person's sin, you have dealt with that person's sin because you're in God. You remain in Him. So do you love your brothers and sisters in the church? That's test one. But test two, I think, is perhaps a little bit more interesting. How scared are you of the judgment day? How much confidence do you have on the day that Jesus comes again? How sure are you that you will stand before God, unafraid and unashamed on that day? Because if you're scared of the judgment day, says John, you've got to grow in your love still. Now why is that? Why does he say that? Because as a Christian, if you're scared or if you're afraid of the judgment day, then friends, you have failed to grasp God's love for you. You have failed to understand the cross. 
If you're afraid of Judgment Day, you do not understand the scope of God's love for you. You don't understand how big it is. You don't understand how deeply committed He is to His children. You don't understand how fully Jesus' sacrifice on the cross actually deals with your sin and how confidently then you can stand in His presence because of that. And the more you realize how incredibly big God's love is for you, the more confidently you're going to stand in His presence on the day that Jesus comes again. And that's something we need to embed within our hearts. And we're going to do that through song. So this is a truth that is beautifully captured by our Rend Collector friends, and we're going to sing this song together. They say in verse 1, By grace alone somehow I stand, where even angels fear to tread, invited by redeeming love before the throne of God above. He pulls me in with nail-scarred hands into his everlasting arms. So boldly I approach your throne. Blameless I'm running home. It is by your blood I come, welcomed as your own, into the arms of majesty. Let's sing.